Welcome to another Salvation by Grace message from Grace Christian Assembly in Smyrna, Tennessee. We are engaged in a verse-by-verse -verse study of Paul's two epistles to the Corinthians. Now, let's join the congregation of GCA and our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up right where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Our meeting on Christmas Day and our meeting on New Year's Day, we veered away from 1 Corinthians for a little while. But we're picking up right at 1 Corinthians 12.12. 12. Have you ever heard the word orthopraxy? Do you know the word orthodoxy? My daughter called me yesterday from work and she said, what does orthodox mean? Orthodox means the same or the sound and right teaching and doctrine. Doxa comes from the word translated as glory. It means the essential essence of something is its doxa. It's the same word that Paul uses for the glory of one star versus another star. So it means the essence of a thing, but when we're talking about the theology and the doctrine that the church teaches, when the church teaches straight from the Bible and teaches the standard church teaching, we call that orthodoxy. Now, we have spent a lot of time here at GCA on sound doctrine. Paul puts a lot of emphasis on sound doctrine. And we've spent a lot of time trying to be orthodox. The problem in so many churches that just do doctrine is that there isn't an orthopraxy to go along with it. And what that means is sound or good or right practice. Paul doesn't just teach sound doctrine, doesn't just talk about orthodoxy. He spends a lot of time talking about how we live and the way that we practice our Christianity. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Paul is going to put it in very simple terms. We're perfectly willing here at GCA to dig into deep and complex theological issues we're perfectly comfortable looking at every word of the Bible, including the big difficult concepts like election and predestination and God's foreordination. But after Paul has written about things like that, he then says, now act like the people of God. Let your practice, let your life, let your behavior, let your interaction, let the way that you cherish one another let that all reflect the fact that you are the people of God. So if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, if we're going to preach the whole of the Bible, we have to not only teach orthodox theology, but we have to teach orthopraxy. We have to talk about how that influences our life, how it influences our behavior, and how it influences our interactions with one another. Now, what you've got to know about Paul dealing with the Corinthian church is that the Corinthian culture, being a Roman culture, was quite different than our culture now because our culture here in America today has a middle class 
How many of you have taken sociology classes and understand the importance of the middle class? Really, Tom, that's it? He's the only one? The rest of you are vastly uneducated? Is that so? We're just deplorables, according to Steve. In ancient Rome, there were the upper classes, the people who had leisure time, and then there were the lower classes, which is why when Paul talks about the difference between people within Christian circles, he says that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. That was a typical division between the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. The Jews knew that they were the people of God, but oh, those Greeks. But in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. He says there's neither male nor female, not that they now become unisex, They still were males and females, but in Christ, especially in a Roman culture that was predominantly a very patriarchal society, where women were considered in many ways second-class citizens, Christianity says that there's neither male nor female in Christ. And then Paul says there's neither free or bond, because within Roman society, you had free men, people who were born Free, which Paul argues that he was. In fact, when he's mistreated and jailed, he's able to appeal all the way to Caesar because he's a freeborn Roman citizen. Now, that's really important to know because there were also people born in that society who were born into the lower classes who were never going to get out of those classes. They were always going to be slaves, they were always going to be workers. And they were always going to serve the upper echelons of society. So that division is really, really clear. And Paul had to address it earlier in the Corinthian letter that when they got together for the Lord's Supper, those people who had plenty, who had food, who had lots to drink, while they were gorging themselves and getting drunk in front of the people who had nothing. And so the people of the upper echelons that had become Christian weren't waiting on, that's Paul's word, they weren't waiting on the people of the lower echelons because the people of the lower classes were considered cattle. They were just servants. They were insignificant. And so through society all the way to our day, The church has been made up of people who have plenty that God has blessed, that have good fortune and have lots of worldly goods, and the church has been filled with people who have nothing, who have very little. And Paul is about to argue that the reason that God did it that way was so that the people who have plenty could share their plenty with the people who have nothing so that nobody within the church has any lack. And that's so dramatically different than Roman culture that we don't feel it today. Everybody in this room is essentially middle class. And so everybody in this room has a certain level of comfort that we live at. We've got closets of clothes and refrigerators full of food, and we all drive a car and live in air conditioning and walk on carpet, and we have no idea what it's like to be a lower-class person who is considered virtually nothing by the rest of the society. We don't know how difficult that trial has to be. 
So Paul is going to argue that within the church, unlike within the culture, but within the church, the lower class of people that are in the body of Christ are to be cared for and waited on by the people of the upper class. And the people of the upper classes would never naturally do that. But the church is different. Just like in Roman society, a woman had no voice. But in Christianity, she now has a voice. She's now a member of the body of Christ. She's now significant. The same way that Paul would say the Jews. The Jews are important, but the Gentiles... The Gentiles don't mean anything within Jewish society. Well, within Christ, now there is neither Jew nor Greek. They're co-equal in the eyes of God through Christ. And there is neither male nor female. They are co-equal in the eyes of Christ. And there is no longer free or bond. They are all equal in the eyes of Christ. So anybody, anybody on the planet can come to Christ and expect to find acceptance through his finished work. And again, I'm going to say it again, we don't feel that so much right here, right now, today. But in cultures that are very class-driven, they feel the weight of that much more than we do. So now Paul is going to argue for taking care of one another Because we are all part of the same body. We are all the body of Christ. And since we're all the body of Christ, we ought to take care of each other. Here's his example. Actually, this is kind of my example mixed with his example. Where's Danielle? Danielle? She disappeared somewhere. She's right there. Okay, Danielle's got a cold. I'm going to use you as an example now. Danielle has a cold. Does that cold affect her right knee? A little bit. I mean, her legs get her around and her legs don't have a cold, but she's real congested in her sinuses and in her throat. So her whole body feels bad. So when her nose and throat decide it's time to go to bed because she's got a bad cold, do her legs go with her? Sure, because it's all one body. And that's what Paul's going to drive at. That every part of the body affects every other part of the body, and no part of the body is insignificant. The whole of the body is to be lifted up in Christ, and we're to recognize each individual member of the body as equally important with every other part of the body. Again, not the way that they're thinking in Corinth, but the way that it ought to be in the church and the way that it ought to be to this very day. And then right from there, Paul's going to launch into chapter 13, which is the classic passage on love, agape. Some of your translations will say charity because he's still talking about the life of the body. So once he says the whole of the body is important, he's then going to say, and I'll show you a better way. You should just love each other. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Thus endeth the introduction. I want some credit for the introduction being shorter today. That's right. (laughs) 
I, yeah, see? I, that's. <laughs> First Corinthians 12, 12. For even as the body is one. Do you understand what Paul is saying? The body is a unified whole. The same way that your physical body is a unified whole, so is the body of Christ, a unified whole. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, for instance, I just called out Danielle's nose and right knee. Now, those are very, very different than each other. She's wiping her nose all morning, but she's not wiped her knee once because they're very, very different, and yet they're part of the same body. Paul wants you to understand this principle. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members are of the body, though they are many, they are one body. And so also is Christ. So the reason for the example of the physical body and the many different parts of the physical body is so that he can draw the parallel to the church of Christ. If you are part of the body of Christ, you're not going to be the same as the other parts of the body of Christ. But no part of the body of Christ is more important than the other parts. Every part of the body of Christ serves the good of the whole. Verse 13, for by one spirit, there's the unifying factor, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The word baptizo, you know it's not translated here as much as it is transliterated here. The word means to be immersed, to be under the influence of. And so by this same spirit, the spirit of God, we were all immersed or placed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. That's the unifying factor. I don't look like Thaddeus. Okay, we both have a beard. In that, we both look the same. But he's a good-looking, young, strapping man. And I'm an old, scar-bellied, bald preacher. Thaddeus has particular tastes in the things that he prefers to do and the things that he likes to do. He likes to do sporting things. He likes to do physically demanding things. I like a nap. (laughs) This is the difference between us. If we just met generally one day out there in the world, would we have anything in common? No, not really. He's not going to hang out with me. He's not going to look at me and say, what are you, 61? Let's hang, buddy. That's just never going to happen. And I'm going to look at him and say, you're young and you've got your life in front of you and you've got plenty of things to do. You don't need an old man hanging around making things more boring, as I think I proved New Year's Eve. (laughs) So Thaddeus and I have nothing in common. And yet I love Thaddeus. And yet I would go so far as to say Thaddeus condones me. (laughs) We have great affection for each other. Why? Why is that? Why can two so very different people 
have such great affection for each other, though we're not related to each other and we have nothing in common with each other, except we have the same spirit of God within us. And that spirit of God, which God placed in us on purpose, chose us each individually to be part of the body of Christ and placed his spirit in us. And when I look at Thaddeus, I see a brother. Because that spirit is the same. You know that I travel quite a bit. I'll be traveling more this year than I have in most of the previous years. And every time I walk into a body of believers, I find friends. People I don't know, but within two, three minutes, we're friends. It's remarkable. It's really astounding. And it happens every time because we share the same spirit. And so that's the unifying factor of the body of Christ. We have all been, by the Spirit of God, placed into this one body. And it doesn't matter if it's Jews or Greeks. That's why I tried to emphasize that the Jews would have nothing to do with the Greeks. The Gentiles oftentimes hated the Jews. But within the body of Christ, there is unity. And then slaves and free... Well, that's why it took so much time to say the upper classes never gave two thoughts about the lower classes. They're just there to do the work. They're the ones that are giving me all this free time. And if they're hungry or they're starving or they're unclothed, or I don't care as long as I get mine. And here Paul says that within the body of Christ, whether someone is slave or a free man, they are all one body, and we are all made to drink of that one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And now Paul's going to give an example. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body, is it? Okay, so think about your body for a moment. Okay, this is going to get really uncomfortable. Think about your body and think about, from head to toe, which part of you do you like? Danielle laughed. She already thought of something. Which part of your body do you like? You might think you have uh, particularly good shoulder blades. I'm, I'm mighty proud of my elbow. That is one great elbow right there. Okay, so now think of your body. Which part of your body do you not like? The one that you stand in front of the mirror and go, oh, I don't, oh, gee, oh, my, I don't like that at all. Which part of your body seems, Paul's going to use the word, unseemly? The parts of your body that are less attractive. The parts that you kind of hide from people. Well, Paul says that's what the body of Christ is like. That there are those parts of the body that are more seemly, that are more attractive. People with bigger personalities and that are able to lead and people who have more money and can always bring food to the potluck. People who are really important within the church. And then there's those unseemly parts of the body that we don't talk about. And he's going to say the unseemly parts are made better by the seemly parts. Here's his argument. If the foot 
should say, I'm not a hand. Okay, well, the hand, I mean, what do you do with your hands? Over the course of a day, how much stuff do you do with your hands? You do a lot of stuff with your hands. Your feet, not always. Try to pick up a pencil with your foot. Go ahead. You can't do it. It's still a part of the body, is Paul's argument. Danielle's knee does not get to argue that because it's not a nose, it's not important. She's giving all this attention to her nose. She really cares what her nose is doing right now. She's not even thinking about her right knee. It doesn't matter. So her knee doesn't get to say, because I'm not a nose, I'm not important. When it's time for her to go to the doctor, her knees have to take her there. That's how the nose gets treatment. Do you understand my point? I'm really stretching a point here. But the point is every part of the body is important and doesn't get to say, because I'm not that, I'm not important. Now, Paul is going to liken this to the body of the church. Now, think about it for a moment. Do you know people or have you ever heard people who have said, well, because I'm not that, Steve gets up here and leads songs. and He does a real good job, and I'm glad he's here doing it. And then there will be somebody who says, well, you know, I've never gotten up and led that way. I must not be important because I'm not him. Some people get to teach. Some people get to preach. And I don't do that. I've never preached. I've never stood up in front of the group. So I must not be as important. I'm going to use you as an example, okay? It doesn't matter if you say okay or not. (laughs) Okay, so here's Leon. Leon has never preached a message that I know of in his life. Never led a song. Yeah. But when that door wouldn't close, who fixed it? Leon. Leon. Everybody knows. Everybody points at Leon. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what that did? That made all of us comfortable. All of us were more comfortable because we could adjust the air in this building because that's what Leon did. You know what I know about me for certain? I didn't know what to do about that door. I put a sign on the door. Don't use this door. Go in that door. As far as I was concerned, that was fixing it. Leon comes up and says, oh, wait, I got some longer screws in the car. Let me get my drill out. Zing, zing, boom, door works. Okay, so now... That Sunday morning, I preached, Leon fixed the door, he led songs. Which one's more important? They both are. They all are. Everything is important because it's all in the service of God, in the service to the congregation as a group, as a body. So nobody gets to say, well, I'm not a hand, I'm not important. For that reason, just because a hand thinks it's not a hand, it's still a part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye. Now, there are people who try to tell me the Bible's not funny. That's funny. Imagine yourself for one moment as a giant eyeball. Because that's what Paul's saying. If you were just a giant eyeball, you might be able to see really good. You couldn't hear a thing. 
how you're going to get around. And so just being an eye is not sufficient. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Or if the whole were hearing, then where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, into the body just as he desired. Now think about that for just a moment. Whatever you are, however you are, wherever you are in the body, that's where God placed you. Well, if that's where God placed you, if he designed this particular set of gifts for you so that you could serve the whole body, then how satisfied is he with you doing that thing? Perfectly. Perfectly satisfied. Because this is his plan. I was asked a couple of years ago, I was interviewed by a local paper, and they said, you know, what's the state of the church these days? What's the state of the church? Oh, I remember what it was. Oh, that's right. It was during the Ted Haggard days. There, that dates it. Do you remember the Ted Haggard story? Ted was a Baptist doing meth, so he should have been a Methodist. Never mind. Um, <laughs> That is such an old joke, and I was willing to do it. And so this reporter says to me, what's the state of the church? What do you think of the state of the church? That was a delayed response. <laughs> and I said to him, the church? Are we talking about the church? Or are we talking about the political, social structure that calls itself the church. But are we, if we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ, the church that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, if that's the church we're talking about, the church is fine because it's in the hands of a sovereign who's doing whatever he wants to do, and he's placing people in his church with particular gifts in particular places for the good of the whole church. The church is fine. Ted Haggard, that's craziness. That's wildness. All that stuff going on out there, that's wild. But the church, the church is fine. Because God is placing people into his church, which belongs to his son, which is named after his son's own body. Don't you think that God's going to take care that that church functions right? Well, of course he is. So Paul writes, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member then where would the body be? The same way that if everybody was an eye, there's no hearing going on. If everybody in the room was a song leader, then when we started singing hymns, you would all have to be up here leading nobody because you're not all gifted the same way. But Paul's argument over and over again that's the early part of this chapter, is that everybody within the body is given gifts by the Spirit, by the Father, by the Son, and they are in charge of the administration of those gifts and how those gifts manifest. This is all God's doing for the good, for the glory of himself. 
I say it over and over again. God is in the enterprise of glorifying himself. And he's using us to do it. And so he is placing everybody within the church exactly where he wants them within the church and then gifting them with the ability to do their job within the church for the good of everybody. Let me tell you something about myself. I'm not real good at public prayer. Anybody else want to testify? I do it, but I'm too self-conscious in public prayer. But the men all get together back here to pray before the start of each service. And some men just have the ability to pray. And as they're praying, I'm thinking, wow, I, I wish I'd said that. That's a really good thought. That is really God-honoring and has really brought me into a state of contemplation and thinking about the things of God. I really enjoyed that prayer because some people are just gifted to do that. Some people. I'm going to pick on you. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> some people. The total number is one. Some people showed up here this morning with a snow shovel in their car, came early, and cleared the walkway out there so the rest of you could walk in without slipping. Now, you wouldn't know that if I didn't tell you. But Tom did that because he has the gift of helps. God has just put it in him that he can't stop being helpful. Every time I point at something and say, you know, that probably needs to, he's like, done. Because he just has that that gifting to him. And you are all the beneficiaries of his helpfulness. Now, everybody in this room has that ability. Is there anybody in the room that you've met? And the minute you meet them, you think, man, I like them. I'm so glad I met them. I'm so glad to be around them. They just exude the spirit of kindness and grace and godliness and You you can just see Jesus all over them. You're just so happy to meet them. Well, that's a gift. That's something God has given them. Can I pick on you, Dwight? I have any choice. No. You have no choice. The last couple of years, Dwight has undergone, as most of you know, a, a, a really difficult process with his health. And if anybody had an excuse to just not come to church, Dwight has that excuse. Dwight has undergone medical procedures that have erased his memory completely several times. He has every excuse to say, I'm just getting beat up by God and by medicine, and I just can't go to church. And yet Dwight walks through the door. He was the first one here this morning of the congregation. We were playing music and in walked Dwight and he stood there. You thought I wasn't watching. I know it's Joni's doing. And he stood right there next to the front hallway and we were playing holy, holy, holy. And he stopped and closed his eyes and just thought about the holiness of God for a moment. Okay, he's got every excuse to say God has done me unfairly. God has beaten me to a pulp. God has done to me like he hasn't done to anybody else in this room. I have every right to be bitter. It's the least bitter man I've ever met. 
It's amazing. It's a gift from God. And he's a constant encouragement to the rest of us. Yeah. So the point being, I can stand here and go around the room, and everybody that I know in this room, I can tell you what your gift is, what your gifting and what your help to the body is. And that's exactly how Paul said it was going to be for the good of the whole congregation. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Now comes the important point, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, I hope you understand what Paul is driving at here. Nobody within the body of Christ has the right or the ability to look at anyone else within the body of Christ and say, I don't need you. And if God is placing everybody into the body of Christ on purpose in their particular place and gifting them to fulfill the particular place that he has put them, then who are you to say that if God has need of them and has placed them in the body on purpose by his divine decree and his omnipotent will, how dare you in your ego say, yeah, but I don't need them. I'm sufficient within me even if God saw something special in them. If they have the spirit of God, and if they are part of the body of Christ, then you might as well get used to the fact that even if you're an important part of the body, like in my case, let's say you're the mouth, you don't get to say, I, I don't care for the big toe, because the big toe doesn't do me any good. Well, the big toe is where you get your balance. Big toe is very important. Every part of the body plays an important role in the health of the human body and in the health of the Christian body. And that's Paul's point. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Okay, so now think about the body of the church. There are going to be members of the body, like I said earlier, who are strong and healthy and well-to-do and, and seem to have everything. And then there are people within the body who don't seem to have much of anything, who don't seem to bring anything to the party, who seem to be the, the weaker members of the body. Paul is going to argue that that's the important part of the body. And you know why that's the important part of the body? Because it reveals what your attitude is toward people like that. Are you willing to help them? Are you willing to assist? Are you willing to clothe? Are you willing to feed? Are you willing to help those people through their trials and tribulations? Or are you just going to say, I have no need of you? So Paul's argument is, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, 
on those we bestow more abundant honor and our unseemly members come to have abundant seemliness. I can't tell you how many times, though I'm going to attempt to tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've been in churches that have had members who are downtrodden, who are less than in our society, who are struggling. You know, for a long time here at GCA, we had a crack addict that used to sit right where Steve's sitting. And, and I was always very pleased that for the most part, people were patient with him. People would work with him. But every once in a while, I'd see people just go, oh, okay, okay, enough. I've known this guy for more years than I want to talk about. I talked to him again this week. I'm still holding out hope that God is going to turn him, is going to change him, is going to change his life. Now, it would be easy for me to say, I'm sorry, but I'm important. I take care of my stuff, I do my job, I do my work, and, and I'm smart with my money, and I don't have habits like you have, and so I'm, I'm the brain. But you, you're just toes, you're just, you're blah, you're, I don't care about you, you're nothing. It would be easy for us to take that attitude towards somebody as pathetic as he is. Paul says, That if we help that person, if we pay attention to that person, if we let that person know that they are loved within this community and that we're there in order to lift them up, that we we put more seemly character onto that person than he would have. Look, again, crack addict. Okay, he's a crack addict. He sleeps in ditches. Okay, he, he smells bad. Okay, there's really nothing about him that you would like. Okay, he's robbed his mother over and over. Okay, he's, he's pawned his car for crack money. He's got nothing. It would be real easy to look down on him and say, well, I don't do that. But when he comes in here and when he worships with us and when he says, I'm trying to get to God, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I want to do better. I'm tra-. Okay, well, if we embrace that, if we give him some hope, if we give him some food, If we let him know that it's okay for another day and then talk to me again tomorrow, if it's okay, if it's right, if it's it's justified for us to reach out to each other, then why not him? Because he's part of, even though he's an unseemly part of, he's a part of the body. So do you understand what I'm getting at? I used him as an example just because he's not here and he's an obvious example. But you know, you know as well as you know your own name. You know that there are people in the church that if you could, you would rather avoid. You know that. I guess it's not true in this room. Other than than Wolfgang, there's really nobody that we all avoid. So I'm sorry. It's just a cheap shot. I've been in so many churches that when the meeting starts, 10 o'clock, you can set your watch by it. 10 o'clock, the service starts. 10.45, it's over. And you can hear the cars peeling out of the parking lot. (laughs) By 10.50, empty, ghost town, they're gone. I love the fact that here at GCA, where I have to be the last one to leave because I have to turn off the lights and lock up, when the service is over, 
people hang around here for another half hour, hour. At some point, I end up being the guy saying, look, you got to go. I'm hungry. Because people here care about each other, and I really like that fact. And that's the way Paul said that a church ought to operate. There's nobody supremely important, and there's nobody too low not to reach down to. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it. What he's getting at there is there are people who just simply need more help. They just need more help. I was very proud of you all, by the way, that I mentioned the woman that came by here a couple weeks ago. She came by three different times. We helped her out three different times, and the third time she was here, when you guys were here just playing ping pong in the middle of a day, goofing off, and Christian called me and said, there's a woman here who wants to talk to you. She had an 11-year-old boy, and she couldn't afford any Christmas gifts for him. Many of you ended up getting her gifts for her son, and I was very proud of you for that. Now, she's never shown up here again. She's a vagrant. We, we don't know where she is now. But you guys did the next right thing. The right thing to do was help her. April, I'm going to pick on you. This is what happens when we have a service like last week. Last week, everybody stood up here and told their stories. If you missed it, you missed a really good Sunday. People stood up here and talked about how much they depend on God just to get them through the events of their life. And it was just a great time of sharing But April this morning gave me a couple of gift cards. And she said, here, next time somebody comes in and needs some help, give them one of these gift cards. Because we usually don't give people cash. Because alcoholics and drug addicts show up for cash. So we usually say, are you hungry? We'll give you food. If you need gas, we'll drive you to the corner and fill up your tank. But we don't usually hand them cash. So she gave me a couple of food cards. And said, here, give these to the next person who comes through who's looking for something. You know that we have a food pantry in the back so that when people show up and say, I'm hungry, we can help them. I keep saying over and over, just do the next right thing. Whatever the next right thing is. Now, why did, why did you all, why did you all, having told that story, why did you all not do that for Leon? Why haven't you done that for Leon? Well, Paul's point is because he doesn't need it. He's one of the people who doesn't have that need. But the people who do have the need, Leon and I can help them because we we have the wherewithal to help. So again, this is Paul's point in saying, whereas our seemly members, congratulations, you got listed on the seemly members list. So I know you feel good about that. Yeah. In fact, when you meet him later, when you see Leon leaving, just look at him and say, my, you look seemly today. (laughs) Whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. 
So God's divine plan within the body is that he has given some people plenty so that they can distribute it among the people who have nothing. And that's how the body works. Here's the essence of it. So that there, verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Okay, now again, put this in the social context. That's why I spent so much time this morning trying to give you the, uh, the Roman and Corinthian context for all of this. It was a society that was made up of people who looked at every other person who wasn't them and said, at least I'm not them, and they're not important. But me and people like me, we're important. But those people, those people are Gentiles. We're the Jews. We're important. They're not. I'm a freeborn citizen. That person wasn't freeborn. He's a slave, always will be. He doesn't count. I'm a man. Me and all these other men, we get together and do manly things. Those are women. They don't count. Okay, so now Paul is saying within the body that that societal attitude should not carry over into the church, but that we should all care for one another so that there is no division within the church. And man, nothing splits a church faster than to figure out who the haves and the have-nots are. And then you get resentment, and then you get arrogance, and then you get people who need help and people who can give help who won't give the help, and the people who need the help resent that they're not getting the help. I've, I've seen the politics of church up to here, taller than me, up to here, here probably. The way the body is supposed to work is that we look for the opportunity to help one another so that there's no division in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. Verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I know I've said this before, but I really like the phrase that a joy shared is twice the joy. And a burden shared is half the burden. If you're carrying something heavy and somebody comes along and puts their shoulder to it along with your shoulder, well, then you're only having to carry half of it. And if you're truly burdened, if there's hardship in your life, difficulty that you're going through, trials that you're going through, and you bring it to your friends, you bring it to the people you trust, you bring it to the body, well, they're going to share that burden with you and carry you through it. How many of you can say, that's true? Because I know it for a fact. Over the last 15 and a half years, I've had plenty of difficulties, burdens that I've had to bear. And this body of believers has risen to the occasion every time. And it's really quite remarkable. That can be everything from when I was homebound. Earlier last year, I was homebound for a couple weeks. You know, that whenever Jennifer went out to do... uh, errands or pick up her boys she'd come by and visit me there was uh, one fellow who would call me every time he was going to come see me and say I'm going by legends do you want spaghetti I don't know why he thought only spaghetti we had apparently had lunch together one day and I ate spaghetti 
And then he said, I'm bringing you spaghetti. And, and just the way that people would reach out and say, how you doing? Can I help? Can I get that? Can I go somewhere for you? Can I bring you food? Every time I'm at Food Lion, and this is true, every time I'm at Food Lion, I call Conrad in Maryland and say, do you need anything? Especially when it's cold out like this. Just little things. It's easy to do. You pick up the phone. You call somebody. You say, what can I do for you? What do you need? How can I help? You know, for a long time, the door handle on that door didn't work right. I showed up here one Sunday, and there was a new door handle on there, and it worked fine. I see you nodding. Do you know who did it? Josiah. Josiah did it. He didn't even ask anybody. He didn't even check with anybody. He just walked up to me and said, here's your new keys. To what? To the building. Oh, I need new keys? Yeah, there's a new door handle on here. Just doing whatever needs doing just because you want to be helpful. And that way, when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And now he applies it, verse 27, and now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So he's making the application that he's talking about the church. If you're the body of Christ, then you're a part of that body. And he has placed you in the body specifically where he wants you to be so that you can accomplish the very thing that he has determined you're going to accomplish. And he is honored, he is glorified, and he is satisfied when you do the things that he has placed you in the body to do. People do small things for other folks and they think, well, that wasn't very big. God wasn't probably honored by that. I mean, that's no big deal. I just did that little thing. Well, God placed you in that place and gave you that ability and that talent to do that thing. You think he's not satisfied with that? You think he's not glorified by that? If you have the ability to help and you don't, well, then God's not satisfied or glorified by it. But if you have the ability to help somebody else, even to the smallest degree, and if you have the ability to do something that satisfies the whole congregation, you know God is glorified in the things you're doing. I agree, yes, you should pray. I agree, yes, you should sing. I agree, yes, you should study. Yes, you should have sound doctrine. Yes, you should be orthodox in your belief. But Paul also argues that you should behave like it. That you should actually honor God, not only in the things that you accept and believe, in the things that you teach or the things that you adhere to theologically, but that you should also honor God in the way that you live. So let's wrap this up. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles. That doesn't mean numerically first. If there were no prophets or apostles, there'd be no teaching. We'd gather together as a church and not have any idea what any of it was about. But Jesus chose the 12 apostles and they carried his doctrine, his teaching into the church. And so they're of primary importance in Paul's listing here. That first he gave apostles and second he gave prophets. 
We've talked about that word enough here. Don't be confused by prophets. He doesn't always mean foretelling the future. Sometimes he's just talking about speaking by inspiration of the spirit. So second, prophets, third, teachers, so that you can understand the word, then miracles, then gifts of healings. We've talked about that extensively. Then gifts of helps. And then gifts of administrations. Do you know how much actual administrating of this church I do? Do you know on a day-to-day basis how much paperwork I have to cover? Do you know how badly I need a secretary for the amount of administrative work I do for this church? None. I do none. I do no administrative work for this church. Alex, he'll do it. Tom, he'll do it. More and more, we're leaning on Micah. He'll do it. They'll take care of stuff. You know, the last time I filled out the taxes for this church? Never. I've never done it. I don't, I don't, because I'm not gifted to do that stuff. Writing checks, making sure the lights stay on, paying the gas bills so you can all be warm today. Tom does all that. I don't do any of that. But that's a gift according to this. He has the gift to administer. And then various kinds of tongues. By the way, notice how low on the list tongues was. I'll just say that and keep going because three weeks ago we talked extensively about that. Now look at verse 29. So here's the point. Are all apostles? Actually, he says all are not apostles, are they? Devante, you an apostle? No. So the answer axiomatically is no, they're not. All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? Some people have the ability to teach. They have the gift to teach. Some people just don't. So they're not all apostles. They're not all prophets. They're not all teachers. And all are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? Okay, our charismatic friends aren't going to like that verse. Because they say that the proof that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit is that it's demonstrated in the speaking of tongues. And Paul said right here, not everybody speaks in tongues. Because get this right, we said it three weeks ago, so I don't have to belabor the point, but the gift of speaking in tongues is in fact a gift. It's something that God does, that God administers, that God does for the particular purpose of advancing his gospel and his cause. But he doesn't have to do that all the time. Is there anybody in this room that would admit that they've never spoken in tongues? Because I've never spoken in tongues. But do you know why I've never spoken in tongues? I've never had to. I've never had the need. It's just never occurred. If God ever determines that I need to speak in a foreign tongue, I will. But so far, don't have the need. And so I haven't done it. So Paul argues that all are not teachers and all are not workers of miracles and all are not healers and all do not speak in tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire, look at the next word, the greater gifts. Okay, now wait a minute. We just talked about 
a whole list of really great sounding gifts. Apostles, prophets. In Ephesians, he says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are gifts, doma, that God gives, that Christ gives to his church for the purpose of bringing everyone into the unity of the faith. Those sound like important gifts. And then he goes on to gifts of healings. That seems important. Speaking in tongues. That sounds important. Workers of miracles. That sounds important. Paul now says, let me tell you something more important. More important than all that. And you know what it is? Love. Charity. So even if you look through this list and you say, I'm none of those. I never healed anybody. Never made anybody grow a leg. I've never made blind people see. I've never raised the dead. I don't do healings. I don't do miracles. I don't teach. I don't prophesy. I'm a nothing here. I'm a big toe on the body of Christ. I got nothing here. Paul's about to say, yeah, but you can love each other. And that gift is where we'll pick up next week. And he's going to define what he means by loving one another. He doesn't mean the kind of emotional love that we think of when we say love. I love you. Oh, but I don't love you now. I loved you yesterday. I don't love you anymore. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. He's talking about sacrificial love, determinate love, loving somebody else, cherishing somebody else because they are a person that God loves. God has chosen them. God has given them the spirit. God has saved them forever. They're your brothers and sisters. They're part of the same body. How can you not sacrificially love them? That's the beginning of next week. Look, my introduction for next week is so long, I'm already introducing it. (laughs) So next week, we'll pick up right at chapter 13, and we'll find out a more excellent way than all those excellent ways. There's a better way than that. Thank you for listening to this Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Assembly. Please visit our website at salvationbygrace.org and join us next time when we gather around the Word and study God's sovereign grace.